Hey, this is Joshua Anderton, and you're listening to episode 13 of the Getting to Ramen podcast. I had the privilege of chatting with Mubs, who you may know as the founder of Pod Hunt, but there are a ton of other projects that he's worked on over the years, um, 80 plus. Um, we chat about a few of them here. Uh, we also talk about uh, a lot about code and and also also though we get into the importance of knowing what type of business you want to run when you set out in the beginning and and I think this is something that most most entrepreneurs um, myself included have made the mistake of not really thinking about when we get into things and so are into a new project so yeah so there's some really good stuff here really excited to show you really quick I just wanted to give a shout out to the folks over at Castup. They reached out and offered to edit this episode for free just because they're also huge fans of Mubs. And as you can hear, it sounds amazing. So definitely go check them out at usecastup.com. First off, like how did you get into like how did you get into software initially? Uh, a very, very long time ago. <laughs> I started I started playing with computers when we kind of got our first computer at the house my my dad just bought one home randomly um and i was about eight years old at the time um and so you know at the beginning it was just like more like playing video games and things like that eventually i got tired of just playing the same old game over and over again so i started to copy code from magazines into the computer so i could play new games uh, and then it was like, well, this is fun, but I would it'd be nice if I could change the way that this this worked. And so I started to kind of update the code so that it would do the things that I wanted it to do. And and that was kind of how I got hooked into uh, writing code. And after that, I pretty much just found every book that I could find. Uh, and so I learned C and assembly language and Pascal, those very early languages that nobody's heard of anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, so after that, I just kind of, I, I mean, I, I, I learned on my own pretty much through high school and everything like that. Um, and then I went to college for it as well. Um, but I pretty much was like a, a year ahead of it. So they were teaching everybody in university C and, and I already C, so I was learning C++ and Java at the time. Uh, so just kind of always a little bit ahead of everybody else. Um, and then I got my first job after after university, just building software, uh, making websites, and I've been in industry ever since. Awesome! That see, that's I, I always find it uh, interesting how people learned initially. If I was starting now, I would absolutely not buy. It. I mean, I, I'm kind <laughs> yeah, of yeah. I'm a little bit I am a little bit different. I mean, I do like to have a book, so I you know, obviously buy an online version instead, like a. <laughs> Kindle book or whatever, because I like to kind of scan like the, what's the big concepts, what's the big thing. So that's kind of why I learned. So let's say I was trying to learn a new language. I'd, I'd probably buy a book or something on that language and just understand the high level concepts of it. Right. Um, just to get an understanding of what it can do, what it's aimed at, you know, sort of that kind of thing. And then once you know that bit, then I, then I, I'd like to be hands on anyway. So then I would actually write some applications, but then I would have an idea of, oh, if I need to do this, I need to go back to that chapter and kind of read a little bit more about that particular chapter. So having the book and the table of contents, I think is really helpful so that you know where to look for when you get stuck on stuff. <laughs> 
Right. I learned C, a bit of C initially, and I found that it really helped me understand a lot of the other languages because so many of them came from C or were inspired by C. Um, so that made things a lot easier, but it's, but yeah, it's like you said, you, it's figuring out the differences and the, the syntax changes and how each, each language or framework is, uh, more effective or what it's known for and what are the best practices. And that's kind of the big learning part. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I talk to a lot of people about like, what's your language of choice and framework of choice. And I don't really have one. Like, I mean, right. I have, I have a few that I use a lot. But typically, it's I, I mean I've been doing a lot of consulting recently, so I work for an agency during the day, and we use whatever the client wants us to use. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I built stuff in Node, I built stuff in Python, built stuff in Ruby on Rails, built stuff in PHP, obviously, which is a lot of the stuff I do on my side. But yeah, so it's so I I mean, sort of a lot a lot of the times I don't have a choice about what I'm allowed to use. Right. Um, I mean, I mean, sometimes you can make a recommendation in terms of we don't think this is the right thing to build this in. Right. And sometimes people will listen. Sometimes they'll say, yeah, we agree with you, but we've got a thousand programmers in the back here who are all writing in this language. So even if it's going to be a little bit harder to build this thing in this in, in the language that would be ideal, the, you know, the sort of switching costs and all that kind of fun stuff that come into owning code and, and maintaining code, it still makes sense for them to kind of stick with a specific language instead. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's great. And I, and I feel like it's like it feels like online even you kind of have to put yourself in a box it's like are you a javascript developer or are you a laravel developer or and and the the agency i work with uh, that i work at during the day is a rails shop um and i do my projects in laravel i i always remember this interview that uh, tim ferris did with a programmer i'd keep for himself as the scorpion that's how people refer to him and he would do <laughs> these programming Olympics, which I didn't know existed. But the way that these guys do it is they would be given a task and they sit down and you spend an hour and you figure out what language. He, he said he knew 90 languages off by heart. And he would just use whichever one was gonna be fastest for the task. And it just seems like obviously learning 90 languages is a lot for <laughs> to expect of a developer, but that seems like, yeah, if you're if you're a de good developer, then you use whatever is best for the project. Yeah, and, and like you said, I mean, most of them are very similar. Yeah, yeah. Right. One uses curly brackets, and one uses indentation <laughs> or whatever. I mean, but yeah, this is the high level concept of, and yeah, you know, and, and you know, I tell people all the time too. Actually, writing the code is actually pretty straightforward. Knowing what code to write is the hard bit, and then so you know, right. if you can translate that into C or to PHP or to or to Ruby, it's it's actually pretty straightforward. Once you know one, learning others is pretty pretty straightforward. So so how did you get into, or how long have you been working on projects on the side as well? <laughs> Because you're working um, on Pod Hunt right now, which we'll yes. we'll we'll talk about. But it would be it would be great to go back and talk about when you started building these these things on the side. Well, yeah, so I think the first thing I ever wrote was a thing called what was it called? It was called Game Navigator, and it was a way for me to track. Um, I, I was a little bit tired of like, so I'm a big uh, football fan, soccer fan, so EPL. Is, is, is my thing. And even back in 2001, I was tired of like keeping a track of what games my team had played and who they played against, what the score was and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So I wrote this thing that kind of, 
analyzed the past, well, the current league, so I could enter in when they played all their games and who they played and what the score was, and then it would kind of show me visually how many games they had left and what what teams they had still left to play and you know what you know where they were trending in the table and stuff like that. Um, so I've, I've been a big like sports fan and a big. Data visualization fan for a long time, so that was okay. kind of the first thing that I, I built because I, I was kind of merging of my interests and, and kind of exploring how to show the same. Because I was tired of just seeing like the league t- t- table, so I was like, well, maybe there's a way to visualize the current standings and and kind of what the team has left to, to kind of do in an in kind of an alternative way. Um, so yeah, that was the, the first thing. <laughs> Roughly, how many do you think there has been since then? Oh no, yeah. So I do have a list. It's funny because I was I was doing a talk earlier this week, or I think it last week. I said, well, you know, I love side projects so much that I have a side project to track all of my side projects. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I have a website called I worked on uh, where you could, well, I could easily t- throw in and add all the things that I built over the years. Um, so I think there's 84 listed on there at the moment. Um, awesome. So yeah, so since so since. 2001 and that because that's just my side project so you know all the stuff i do during the day with the agency and stuff oh yeah that's not that's not including any of that stuff (laughs) um but but yeah so there's 84 of those i mean i think i started doing it more seriously around i think 2015 was really when i uh you know i kind of i was working at a different agency uh, and we were doing lots of really awesome work, um, but we was we were doing work for people that didn't want to tell the world that they were that we were doing work for them. So we so we got to the point where it was we were doing really awesome stuff. We would launch it, we would get millions of people using the stuff that we built and stuff like that. But we couldn't talk about it at all. Like we couldn't we couldn't put it on our website, you know. And, and when when they announced it and stuff, it didn't mention anything. You know, we were basically added into the teams within within the company that we were working with and, and we oh. were just kind of helping them build and architect these 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 uh, these 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 sites and things um so after about you know like a year of that i got really tired of not being able to talk about what i was working on um and in in about 2015 i think it was i kind of just had this thing where i was like well if i can't talk about what i'm doing during the day how about i just do the stuff on the side um and so yeah so around 2015 was really when i was like well this side thing doesn't you know yes it's a side thing but it can be like a i mean it's really just kind of a a marketing tool really in terms of i want to talk about what i'm doing i want to talk about what other people are doing um, but I can't, so let's let's build something so that we can <laughs> talk about that stuff. <laughs> so, so then, did you work on it with some of the the team members at the agency as well, or were they mostly yeah. solo stuff? Yeah, it was a mixture. Like, I mean, if you look at the eighty four that I've done, I'd say probably about a half of those are, are things that I worked on with other p- p- people as well. Awesome, um, and. In, in, and as I got my word, I, you know, as the word started to spread about, hey, Bob's likes working on side projects and doing things like that. Well, people would start to reach out to me as well and then to say, hey, I've got this idea for something. I'm not quite sure how to, you know, how to move forward with it. Or, or they just weren't t- technical folks at all. They were they were more on the t- 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 design side or the p- business side of things. Uh, but they had an idea and they were like, well, can we build something quick on the side in weekends and evenings just to see if this is a thing? 
Um, and so, yeah, so yeah, so there's, I'd say at least half of those is things that I've worked with other people on or worked on other people's ideas as well. Okay. And so which one do you feel is kind of, has kind of been the most successful? Uh, there's probably a c- couple, uh, depending on how you count, uh, what's successful. <laughs> um, right, I think the right. most, the most successful from just for like a pure business startup kind of standpoint, there's probably actually two now actually so i built uh, a thing called q q u u u there's three u's so q.co is the website and i built that with some friends in england matt and dan they had this idea for curating content for social media um and so that i think i did about three years ago now i think it is uh maybe yeah i think about three years ago uh, and so I just helped them. They had the idea. So uh, Dan was more of the design side. Matt was more on the marketing kind of uh, business side of things. I helped them to get started. I think they have eight people working there now. Wow. Um, so yeah, so it's a real business, employs people, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, I've done a couple of projects with Ben Tussle, uh, who's really okay, yeah. big in the no code space. We built Nuco and kind of a few other things as well in the past. Nuco mm-hmm. has kind of morphed itself into Hakerpad mm, mm, now. He's doing really well with that. Um, and then the other one that is really, really successful, but not from a making money side or from a business standpoint, but purely from an uh, interest side in terms of the number of pages and stuff. I built this thing with somebody I've never met still, uh, somebody uh, in Bulgaria. Uh, his name is Dimitar. He reached out to me about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago. Uh, he said, you know, I've seen your work online. It'd be cool if we could work on something together. And so we came up with this idea. He had this idea of a research paper that he found um, uh, by some researchers at Oxford University about um, the risk that your job would be automated away through AI and robotics and things like that. They had analyzed the skills that you need to do 700 jobs, 700 plus jobs, and then they put a percentage on in by 2023, what's the likelihood that your job would be automated away? Wow. Um, so we built this website called Will Robots Take My Job? <laughs> um, and uh, we built it in two weekends because it was very simple. Like we took the report and you, we made it so you could search for the job and then it kind of <laughs> just showed you some stats about that job and stuff like that. Uh, and so I think in the first week that we had launched it, it had done 4 million page views. Wow. Um, yeah. And so I think we sold that cause we, cause we had no real plans for the siren like mm-hmm. that. Um, so after about a year or so of it being live, we, we, we sold it to, to some folks who had some ideas of, you know, how to, how to continue and add more features and things. Uh, but at that point it had done 14 million page views. Wow. That's so fun. Well, and uh, so I I used Q at my last job. Ah, awesome. Uh, so that's that's pretty that's pretty crazy, <laughs> and it is a great tool. 
So, so, so then do you plan on at some point, do you want to have a SaaS business or have a product like that that you're doing full time or what's kind of been the, the drive for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, most of the time I build these things on the site, I don't really have a plan. Um, normally it's just, well, either I'm just scratching an itch or, or I'm helping somebody mm -hmm. uh, launch their idea. Um, you know, I'm quite happy doing the job that I do. It's a fantastic job. We get to do really cool, interesting stuff with lots of different clients from all over the world and stuff like that so you know I don't I don't I don't I don't have this big urge to like build a SaaS so I can get some MMR so I can quit my job because I hate my job you know that's what <laughs> yeah I, I kind of read indie hackers and that's like a lot of what you see it's like I hate my job I, <laughs> I want to build a SaaS um, and, and so yeah so it's never really been like a top priority kind of on my, on, on my end like that now obviously if something really you know if yeah, I built something and launched something and, and it just kind of took off that would be awesome and I, I would consider either you know uh yeah I, I, I might figure out how to how to make it my full-time thing mm -hmm. I guess but I've, I've really never really had an interest in actually running like a you know like a hot internet company or anything like that like mm -hmm. because I, I feel like the minute that you you go into running that company you kind of you go into running the company not like right. building software and and building websites and things like that which is the thing i love love to do so you know i don't want to i don't want to manage people i don't want to i don't want to manage a company and raise money and manage the finances and all that kind of fun stuff so it's kind of one of those mixtures of things where it's like yeah we kind of cool to say that you started something and it was big and you know and all that kind of stuff but then you know then i wouldn't really be doing what i like to to do so i don't know how I don't know how happy I would actually be. <laughs> right. And I think that that's, that's so important. We're always afraid of failure, but nobody's really thinking about what does success look like, <laughs> yeah. you know? And, and, uh, and you hear about people that start companies and then realize, uh, I don't really like doing this anymore. Like that part at the beginning, I really liked. And so I, I feel like it's a, it's, it's something that, um, all of us need to be able to, um, to think about, but I, I, yeah, I don't think most people are is, is what part do you enjoy and does it need to be a business? Yeah. I mean, I, I had a little window into this cause I've run, I mean, I've done the whole freelancing on my own thing and I've run a small agency. There was like three mm -hmm. of us. We call it an agency, but there was like three of us and we were all kind of in charge. Um, so you kind of get a little window in terms of, yes, you still get to talk to clients and build things and things, but then you realize how much else you have to do in terms of running the business and, and kind of managing uh, that through everything as well. So you get a good look at, it's not just about building websites, it's yes, you spend 60% of your time on that, now you spend 40% of your time doing other things um, as well. And I think, you know, and I've been an employee at very early stage startups as well. So I you know, I've worked at a few startups where I was like employee number three and employee number six and, and kind of things like that. And so at that point, you again, you get a good window in, you know, because you have a close, close relationship with, with, with the founders and stuff. And you see that, yeah, most of the founders, they spend like an hour or two a day in the office talking to the rest of the team, but then they're off in, you know, meetings trying to raise more money or to, or yeah. to do these meetings to kind of, you know, sign deals and to sign new customers and stuff. Uh, and even though they're a, you know, a SaaS founder or a startup founder, they're not really doing much startup stuff. They're just doing the regular uh, you know, sort of talking to VCs and trying to raise money and trying to do the high level business stuff now and not, not the stuff that I really like to do. 
lately all of these uh, all of the kind of bootstrap uh, podcasts that are out right now um, there's there's six or seven of them I think right now yep. and most of them in this last week have all talked about how much how much MRR is enough right. and <laughs> with the kind of um, thinking about how fast do you want your company to grow and what will that look like right. and do you have control over how fast it grows and uh, and so it's been really interesting listening to these um, bootstrappers think about, I think, I think build your SaaS, uh, Justin Jackson and, and John Buddha kind of brought this up yep. and then bootstrap web had a, had a response to it. And this morning I was listening to uh, slow and steady podcast. They talked about it, um, out of beta. So they've all kind of, they're all like, they're all, you can hear everyone's thinking about this. It's like, Man, if this thing does go really well, what is this company going to look like, and is that somewhere I want to work? <laughs> right, and, and really, like I said, is that you start thinking about you know what happens when you when you grow and hit it, because at that point, it's like at some point, either you stay to a certain size where you, as the founder, or maybe there's t two of you, can do everything, which is which might be enough for some people. But then it's like, well, if I need to hire two or three people to be able to pick up the workload now. Does that 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 M, that sort of MMR that you were uh, that that you were aiming at now needs to kind of increase a little bit more because now you got a couple more salaries that you need to take yeah. care of and then and then like you know we were kind of touching on it I think pre call we're talking about things like t t taxes and business rules and things like that you, now you have to start worrying about well now I got to pay payroll tax and social security if you're in the US at least elsewhere in the world I'm sure they have their own things but. But yeah, people always underestimate time and expense of, of the things that you yeah. don't, I mean, I mean, unless you've been through it already, you don't think about, yes, there's a certain level of income that you think you can use to pay people's salary, but then when you think about all the other expenses that you have to pay on top of that, also things like hiring, hiring lawyers and attorneys and, and, and uh, accountants and things like that as well, that all just adds on a little bit more that you need to raise your MRR, uh, MRR a little bit more uh, kind of each time that you think, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm, I'm there. And then you're like, well, I'm a little short. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I've a, I've, uh, I have a friend I've talked about uh, email octopus a lot on the podcast. I've, uh, Jonathan mm -hmm. Bull, the founder lives in Vancouver here. So, okay. but one of the things that uh, we talked about recently was I was like, cause he's got uh, four, four or five employees now. And I was like, I don't know if I ever want to have employees. And, and I was like, what's that like? He's like, you know, I didn't plan on it either, but I'm not going to stop this thing that I built from growing. And at, right. you get to a point where it's like, it just needs someone else. And you're not going to, and, and so it's like people talk about, oh yeah, I want to build something slow and, and I'll, I'll, you know, get it to where I want it to be. But it's like, this is your baby. You're not going to prevent it from, from growing. You're going to. You're going to keep fueling yeah. it in whatever way you need to. And I think to some degree, it's kind of the antithesis when it comes to SaaS, right? The whole point about building a SaaS is that you write the software and then an infinite number of people can use it, right? Like as many people want to use it in the world can use it. You don't have to worry about like how much time you're spending on it on, on a per customer level, right? So like you said, so like with email octopus, the whole point is you come to the website you say, and, and I use email octopus as well, so it's fantastic. But right, people yeah. can come, awesome. they can sign up, they can, they can use it. So it, you know, if there's enough people coming and signing up and using it, 
what's stopping more people from coming and signing up and using it? I mean, unless you're selling your time, you know, if, if you're consulting or something like that, or, you know, you're, you're kind of doing work for hire, then obviously there's, there's, there's only a certain number of hours a day that you can work and that you can get paid for that work. But the whole point about building a SaaS is that you don't, you don't have that, you, they, you don't have that con, con, constraint anymore. And so if things start to accelerate and grow and grow and grow, yeah. you can't really stop it at that point. I mean, what are you yeah. going to do? Like take off the sign up page so people can't sign up to your application? <laughs> <laughs> I think for me in like an ideal world, you know, if, if something stuck, if even something like Pod Hunt stuck, uh, and, and it became something that, you know, that, that people wanted to use every day and people are using it every day, thankfully. But if mm-hmm. it became something that needed to be its own thing and it wasn't just going to be a side thing, I mean, ideally, I'd find somebody who would be happy doing all the things I don't want to do, right? Like, I can concentrate on the product and build the application and, and kind of take that side of things and kind of kind of own that side of things. And then hopefully you've got a... a co-founder or a partner or something mm-hmm. who likes to do all those other things and then and then you kind of make that kind of good b- b- balance i think that's one of the reasons that you know i, I kind of look at you know what people that you know white combinator you know paul Karam has said that he doesn't really like to invest in s- solo f- founders it's, it's not that a solo founder can't create a company and create a really great application and stuff, but to really build and grow and scale a company, I think you need more than one person. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I talked to Benedict Dyke um, from UserList uh, a couple of weeks ago, and, and he was saying that the biggest benefit with having co-founders for him is that even when he's not working, there's still momentum. And even if it's somebody who's non-technical, who's talking to customers, who's doing, writing a blog post or whatever it happens to be, there's plenty of things that people can do to kind of make, think, make sure things aren't stagnant or sharing stuff on social media or whatever it happens to be. Yeah. There's lots of ways that you can continue to move things forward without having to write new code and having to write new features and, and kind of have to do that kind of heavy lifting on that end of things as well. You were just saying um, a big piece of of uh, uh, of what's making it successful is is that is your audience and your network. How how have you found has been the most effective way to be like be building that that audience? Because I notice you do you have a lot of people following you, a lot of people know about you, and that makes a huge difference when you go to start a new thing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, you know, like, well, one, I've been doing this for a really long time, so it right. makes it easier right. to kind of, uh, to build an audience up slowly over time. And, and yeah, mostly it's just, you know, I try and be helpful. Like, you know, people reach out to me, you know, I don't always have time to respond to everybody, but I try, if they have a question about something, I try and answer it. Uh, you know, I turn some of those into p- blog posts as well and things like that where, you know, where I've had to spend some time kind of investigating things. Uh, and then, yeah, and it's just being out there, like it's launching stuff on Product Hunt and, uh, and you know, so so people can see that Mobs does like to do this stuff. Mobs is able to do this stuff. Um, yeah. and, and then, yeah, and then it's just mostly it's just, I mean, I haven't really tried to do anything, you know, I haven't tried to do anything growth hacking wise or anything like that. Right. It's just, just being out there consistently launching stuff, making stuff, t- t- talking to people uh, and, and just trying to be helpful if I can as well. I'm listening to the audiobook uh, Authority by Nathan Berry. Mm-hmm. And that was one thing right off the bat that he says too, is just be teaching people. 
Yeah, and, 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 and frankly, I mean, a lot of really smart people are really bad at explaining what they do. And, yeah, not that they're bad at what they do, but they're really bad at explaining it to other people. And I think, you know, yeah. the, you know finding that rare, I mean, I think Adam Wadden's an awesome example of that too. He does really awesome. He writes really awesome code. He knows how to do it, but also how he explains it is, you know, makes mm-hmm. it really easy to understand as well. So, so yeah. So, I mean, be- between Adam and Steve having teamed up now, it's, uh, I mean, yeah. they're probably right around to conquer the world here <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah i'm looking forward to to getting access to some of the components that they're working on for with tailwind yes. <laughs> those are those are looking really good yeah, it looks, so, looks amazing. So, uh, so tell me about pod hunt if you when people ask you uh what it is how would you explain it yeah pod hunt is it's it's a podcast discovery tool so you know last time i did some research there's about eight hundred and fifty thousand podcasts there's about 450,000 active podcasts, which means that they put out episodes in the last 90 days or so. I think there's something like 4 million episodes, I think it is, out there now of different podcasts and things. So, you know, with so many things, how do you know what to listen to? How do you know what's a really good episode? So the way that it works is uh, people can sign up. Um, they do have to ask to be able to submit an episode right now, um, just because just to stop spam and to stop people just mm-hmm. you know submitting random stuff. Um, but yeah, so people can submit episodes and then people upvote them, and then every day, just like Product Hunt, the leaderboard kind of resets, so that every day that you come to Pod Hunt, you can see something new, something that might be interesting you as well so yeah because uh, i think the, the main problem that i found was that when i looked for a new podcast you know you would go to these lists and they were like the top 200 podcasts and it was the same thing every day every week for the last months mm-hmm. and months and months yeah you would get one new entry in there maybe or maybe the number two would switch with the number three and you know it wasn't really anything great um but and, and they were also focused on the entire podcast as a whole so as as the industry has started to get a a little bit more mature like even though even the popular podcast like you know joe rogan and and mark maron and stuff you know they put out hundreds of episodes now so i can't go back and listen to all of those um Mm -hmm. so so which are the really which which are the top episodes that you should listen to as well so with that that's what Pardon is trying to do is to want to find you new podcasts as a whole that you might be interested in, but then even once you find those, which are the really good episodes within those to actually spend your time listening to as well. I really like Pod Hunt. It's an it's an awesome tool. It's been super helpful, and and I and I totally agree. There's there's definitely a need for this right now. All over the internet is there's just so much content, so it becomes about making quality stuff. And the best way to find that is when other people are recommending it. And so a tool like PodHunt has just been so helpful because you're able to go in and quickly see what are are people like enjoying, not just finding. Yeah, and and obviously podcasting is still a fairly, I mean, it's been around for about 15 years now, I think. But yeah, in in the grand scheme of things, that's pretty damn small because books have been published for thousands of years. TV's been around for, you know, 100 years or whatever it is. So, yeah, in terms of the grand scheme of things, we're still pretty early on and and it's still kind of working itself out. It's also one of the, the, as far as kind of media goes, it's the least, well, it's the most 
distributed, right? Like if you want to put out a, a Hollywood movie, there's probably, you know, 10 or 20 studios in the world that can put out a Hollywood style movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you want to make a t- t- TV show, there's again, there's probably 10 or 20 uh, TV stations or TV networks that can put that stuff out. But you look at podcasting and it's a completely distributed infrastructure that anybody who wants to can become part of the podcasting world, which is why there's 800,000 plus podcasts. Um, But it's, uh, yeah, so it's cool that it's open and any, and kind of anybody can hop in, but then, but then how do you, as somebody new in the space without spending thousands on marketing and, and, and sort of that kind of stuff, how do you find an audience? And, uh, and yeah, part of it's just people don't know where to look to find something new, something interesting. And, uh, and like I said, Pud, Pud Hunt's trying to solve that. <laughs> solve that. And it, it's kind of a two-headed thing, right? Like I'm trying to solve it for the host who's like, well, I've got this new podcast. I've got this new episode. Mm-hmm. I want people to hear it because I think it's really awesome. And then you've got the podcast listeners who are like, well, I've listened to all the podcasts that I have in my podcast app already. What's something else I can listen to as well? So you've got this kind of two-headed marketplace, um, which I think is really interesting. Are there any kind of major features that you're planning on adding? Yeah, I mean, I think longer term, it's, you know, eventually it'll probably become an app of some kind, like, you know, in terms of iPhone, you know, Android, something. It's just something that you can more closely integrate the actual finding of the podcast and then actually listening to it as well, because most people still use an app to, to listen to the episodes. Although I'm finding, as I'm talking to people, more and more people now seem to be listening to it on the web as well. Like they'll just open up the the website of the podcast. Somebody will send them a link, right? So instead of yeah. subscribing to the podcast, waiting till you have your iPhone handy or your Android handy, they'll just listen to it right then and there. Uh, so, you know, maybe, you know, I'm still, you know, I'd say still sort of 80% of all, all of her listening still happens within an app. So it kind of makes sense to be in the app as well. Um, I think outside of that feature wise, it's going to be more along the lines of, you know, how do I, or how does PodHunt give you stuff that's more like what, what you're looking for? So a way for you to say, yes, I want to listen to business podcasts or kind of entrepreneurship podcasts. Um, yeah, and then just have a way where Podhunt can say, look, these are the things that you might have access to. The, you know, so the homepage will still stay the way that it is and it'll still be that kind of random assortment of awesome stuff, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but then there'll be a page where you can go to specifically for you and say, look, I, li- I like listening to these people. I like listening to these these kind of things. Can you can you share me these kind of things uh, ex- 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 exclusively as well? Oh, that's exciting. That'll That'll be really fun. I, I think we got, it, it was really fun talking about uh, code at the beginning there. And so we went yes. a bit longer. So, uh, so yeah, well, let's, let's wrap it up. Um, what are, what are some things that, some ways that people can follow you or find you? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think I do most of my sharing and stuff on Twitter at Pasher Iqbal is the easiest way to get, get a hold of me. My DMs are open, so and like I said, I'm 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 usually more than willing to help with anything if I can. I don't always have all the time in the world, but I I do like to try. Um, I also hang out a lot on on, on the Indie Hackers forum as well. Um, so feel free to tag me in a post if you have something that I might be able to help with. Um, yeah, I think that, that's that's those those are the two easiest ways. Okay, okay. Well, thank you so much for your time, Mubs. It's been a really great conversation. All right, thank you.